Hey there everybody and welcome back to the 99th episode of the DCVC podcast. I'm your host Akash Pat and each week I bring you leading investors and operators investing and building companies in the diverse tech landscape of India. And while we continue to build the excitement towards the 100th episode, my guest today does a phenomenal job in setting up the foundation for what is going to be a great landmark here for us on the podcast. Joining me on the show today is Yash Jain, founder and general partner at Sparrow Capital. Sparrow is an early stage micro VC fund that invests up to 500k in SaaS, B2B, fintech and consumer internet sectors in India with investments in companies such as Mailmodo, Kuhu, Beamer Plan, GoQuick, Superphone among many others. Prior to founding Sparrow, Yash had two stints with large VC funds in India including Kalari Capital and Arkham Ventures and also worked at Flipkart and Deloitte. Well among other things on the show today, I sit down with Yash to talk about the challenges of launching and running a micro VC fund as a millennial in the country, some of the learnings that he's had investing in India and most importantly the dent that he wants to create in the Indian VC ecosystem with Sparrow Capital. I had a great time sitting and chatting with him and I'm excited to share my conversation with you. So without further ado, here is Yash Jain. Yash, welcome to the Desi VC podcast. Thank you so much. Really looking forward to having this conversation now. As I was telling you, we don't really know where the conversation is going to go, but it's going to be an exciting place, I'm sure. I hope but so. <laughs> I wanted to kick things off on this, right? You've had um, you've had a couple of stints at various VC funds in the country, and then you know you're obviously running your own fund right now. Why venture capital? Like, what drew you to this this field? It's a very dark side of the business, as most people know it. <laughs> so, what kind of got you into to this side? To be very honest, I I had my own share of, uh, you know, confusions or conflicts in my mind over the last six, seven years, what I really want to do. Got a lot of advice on, you know, the next best, best thing for me to do is just go be in an operating role and come back into the industry, with far better tools to be a better VC. I think at the end of the day, I listened to my heart. My heart was in investing, you know, I think everybody can chase a different path to what they want to do. Uh, and the other thing was I tried doing some operating stints at my portfolio companies. Like I went, reached out a couple of my CEOs said, Hey, I want to spend three days in your office. Did that for a bit. I realized I went into those roles that I want to do product or operating stint, but I saw myself adding more value to my CEO in that company on the fundraising side, strategy side. I drifted towards doing more pro- those projects, right? Completely. <laughs> missing the bus on, hey, I came here for something and I am doing something else clearly, right? And I, I, when I met investors on the other side, I sort of felt bad to not be in that seat again, you know, that was that. So I think I like doing what I do. What draws me to this world is my love to read, love Mm. to consume a lot of information, hopefully connect the dots and see some trends. Well, time will tell whether I do that well or not. You know, that's the bad part of this business because the feedback loops are really long. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. But I think uh, 
when I look at my day every day, I get to read so much, you know, I get to read so many fascinating things, you know, uh, consume information, try to look at different puzzles of a building a business and try to make sense of how do I go about making an investment decision. So that thrill of doing that is something I really enjoy a lot. Mm -hmm. I would also say that's something that we, both me and my partner uh, uh, at Sparrow enjoy, that we really like thematic or thesis-driven investing, like going deep into something and then making a call whether, you know, so for example, the other day we were debating about whether India will see battery swapping or charging. So what are the relative mat, uh, merits of each of these business models? Mm. I think that's that's the thrill that I really enjoy being in this world. I find that really interesting because a lot of people enter VC, especially young, right? Like you and I, with a different mindset, different set of expectations. And what mm. they really want to get out of venture capital is very different as well. When yeah. I, for instance, entered VC, for me, it was about one trying to understand how companies are being built at scale mm. and seeing about 10 to 15 happening at the same time. So yeah. I came from a very similar school of thought as you is like, Hey, can I get some operational experience and like understand how to build companies? And it's very difficult for you to like do so. If you just get into like one company, you only understand yeah. like one sector and you probably even understand a subsector of a, of a sector. And you spend a little bit of time doing that, which is fantastic for sure. But then the, the, the reason I got into this side personally is I got a chance to look at multiple sectors. One, mm-hmm. because I am a generalist in life. And yeah. for me, it's very difficult to understand which sector should I really get into because I, I don't come from a SaaS background to say, hey, I'll be really good at SaaS. I'll be good at consumer. I'm just, I'm, I'm just good at most things that I do. If, if I get introduced to it and it give me a little bit of time, I can get good at it. So I don't really have an area of expertise. And that's one of the reasons why I felt VC and being part of a journalist fund was kind of interesting because it suited my personality. So this is a personality fit from my point of view. And that's one reason I got into it, right? But there were a couple of things that I knew about my own personality before making that decision. Being a journalist was one of those things, but also just being curious, being fascinated by um, what was happening in various uh, industries and keeping up to date with it. As you mentioned, you like learning was something that goes back to like my early days in childhood where I was just curious in life and just loved reading. So was that something similar for you as well? Because you say you're really curious about getting to know a bunch of things. So if you were to like go back to your childhood, were there like early traits that now, because you have the luxury of time and retrospect, look at and say, yeah, I, I can see why all of this made sense because I'm connecting the dots and things that I did in my childhood is is adding up now. Was there, a, were there things that happened like that? Yeah, I think it's funny you say that because now that I think about it, they do. You know, I I, I was somebody, I, as a child, I was somebody that was always thinking about things, that why something is this way, why something is this way, right? Uh, but I wasn't able to connect the dots before getting into VC. It happened as a serendipity to me. Mm. Honestly, you know, I was an analyst at Flipkart and a recruiter at a top VC firm reached out to me. Hey, they're interested in my profile as a mm. foreign analyst. And I turned them down. Do you uh. believe it? Because I didn't know what a VC is. This was yeah. like me 14 mid October, right? A VC was just taking off in India. And I was just, I was just like an undergrad who just joined Flipkart trying to do my job. And I remember a friend of mine who was at McKinsey. I was telling him, hey, this person reached out to me with this job. I didn't even know what, what it was. And he was like, are you mad? <laughs> you should reach out to her and go definitely interview because it's a great role that he was he was the one who pushed me. And that's when I realized, oh boy, I made a mistake. I reached out to a couple of other firms, got a couple of offers and decided to work for Kalari. That's where I started. 
I love their office. I think while I can go back and say that, you know, I made some calculated choice, I'm, I'm being very honest. Most of my choices have come from very stupid reasons. Yeah. Know that I love their office. Kalari's office was really lively and warm, a lot of sunlight. I said, okay, I want to work here. Huh. It didn't come from a place of, oh, whether, you know. Calculated decision making. Yeah. yeah. See, you know, a lot of people even today ask me, why did you decide to start a fund? How did it happen? Is a serendipity? You know, yeah. I, I was at Kalari. I thought I want to continue to work here. But one of the partners at the firm who really I enjoyed working with left to start a new fund. I said, yeah, sure. I will come join you. It looks like an exciting opportunity. The fundraise took a lot of time. And that's where my lot of my naivety got shattered. That building a new fund from scratch is very, very hard. It requires a lot of resilience. Yeah. And that experience became an input to me deciding, okay, I can st- also start a fund. And I was prepared. That's going to take time. This was at Arkham, right? This was at Arkham. Yeah. Right. I don't think it would have happened if I had not done this. Right. right. And in hindsight, you know, I made something positive out of it. Right. Mm. But trust me, no decision in my life were very calculated path. I want to do this and that. And I ended up saying, I want to still go to an MBA. You know how, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just uh, worked it's out. Fascinating how those things kind of like add up now when you look back at things. Yeah, correct. Right. <laughs> correct. And at that moment, you probably didn't even know what it meant to like start a fund. And it takes a yeah. like, old, you know, person to take a, a step that early in their life saying that, you are at a good fund. Like Kalari is a really good fund, of course, you know, a great name. And then leaving that to go start an unknown fund. I mean, it obviously, you know, people like Rahul have had credibility in the industry for a long time, but starting a fund from scratch it's is always awesome. difficult because the right. fund managers have brands, but the fund in itself doesn't have a brand as yet. Yeah, yeah, correct. So associating yourself to almost an unknown brand all, all again, uh, starting over is, is pretty hard. And then to go on from that to start your own fund is an interesting decision-making process that you might have definitely gone through. And I want to take you through that early days of, um, you know, Sparrow or even pre-early days of Sparrow. Why and what kind of made you take that leap of faith, both in yourself as well as the fund and tell yourselves that, you know what, we can be successful doing uh, an early stage fund in India, given how competitive the landscape actually is. Perhaps when you started, it wasn't as competitive as it is today. But it's still not easy to do it that earlier on in your career. So what are those things that kind of push you over the edge? And what give you the confidence? I think, uh, look, I'll be honest. I had the safety of uh, the deferral I had from business school. Mm. That I one year, I, it, it happened during the pandemic. I said, you know, I, de- I deferred coming to the US. I said, I have one year. Yeah. This is the best time for me to do something. Right? Yeah. So I'll be very honest. I had that safety. I'm not sure I would have done the same thing if I had not had the safety of this decision I had in front of me. Like I could move to the US a year later. What do I have to lose? Honestly, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I didn't think twice a lot again. I I thought, you know, you know how it happened. I got connected to my first investment, Mail Modo, the founder Mm -hmm. of Mail Modo, Akib, through a common friend. And he just wanted to take my advice on how to raise money. Mm. and we really enjoyed conversations and he came back and said would you put in some money you know I love chatting with you I said I have never done angel investing I have very little money I'm going to business school I'll be in a lot of debt so just put the smallest check you can 
then i said okay i can do that let me ask a few friends of mine who trust my opinion and they would also put in some money alongside me and that's how it was born it dawned right. upon me if i don't have capital why don't i pool some capital funds from friends of mine who trust me at zero management fee i don't need to i don't this need like an money. offline syndicate of its of its yeah offer. correct and then i'll invest it yeah. and honestly i wanted to raise 50 lakhs Mm. That's all I wanted to do. I'll say I'll do five or ten investments, or somewhere between five to ten investment, like a ten thousand dollar kind of check or five lakh kind of check, and I'll invest that money and go to the US. Right, that was my idea. But it sort of grew from there. I started seeing the gaps in the market, which obviously I can talk about. But uh, I think it has all happened with, like I said, not. from a place of calculation thinking and you know this is something that i have realized now see a lot of people say this that you should be an operator because you can empathize well i think this is it mm. you know because for me entrepreneurship not, is not about frameworks so when i see an entrepreneur thinking through a lot of business school frameworks of x y z you know porter's five forces so on so forth i think it to me entrepreneurship stems from a place of stupidity and you know people figure out yeah so i i look for that now that i have done it when i look at myself that i didn't think about any of this when yeah. i just i had to do it i had to do it i'll figure i figured it out along the way and a lot of entrepreneurship is also just figuring out all the exactly. stages you know as yeah. you know we were discussing before uh, the recording began i came on to the other side right came out of the dark side went back to the darker side yeah. feel is entrepreneurship because you've definitely got to be crazy to go back and like build a company all over again and you know the learnings are almost every minute and not even every day and the early i have so much more respect for my portfolio founders today i mean i've been i'd been an operator before as well not that i hadn't that spent i was an early employee at um, you know a, a food delivery company before that i had my own startup so i'd been a founder before but it had been almost like 8 years since i went back to becoming an operator again right and after becoming and getting on to this side of the table I have so much more respect, newfound respect for founders because you're throwing darts at the board every single day, hoping that something sticks. Something and when something stuck. sticks, you want to double down and understand why yeah. it stuck. And can you do that with your next throw? That's literally yeah. what you're doing every single day because there's so much uncertainty, and that's the space you guys also invest in. So it's not easy being on the other side as an investor, looking at startups and trying to try to figure out. why something would work yeah the sectors can tell you a lot of from a story point of view from an opportunity standpoint but it doesn't really tell you a lot whether the founders are going to be successful doing that or not and i thought maybe we could also structure this episode as a master class for early stage founders and the learnings that you've had i think where you're coming from right you've had this unique vantage point sitting at three different funds you've sat at kalari so you kind of understand how funds look at investing in early stage from a kalari point of view at arkam you got to got to, got to do the same thing looking at middle india and and you know the second opportunity that that it presents itself and the unique thesis that they have and now where you guys are investing at the pre seed stage from your fund point of view so let's let's take all of your experiences kind of collate that and 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 package it in such a way that any founder today or tomorrow who listens to this is probably able to take away what it means to fundraise at different sectors across various uh, industries and from a point where there's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to writing a check itself so the first question with having set that context and foundation for the next 45 minute discussion or so is what have you learned about investing in india so far 
just the general sentiment of investing in the country and the nuances that people don't really understand uh, and doesn't really like pop out when you really think about investing in 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 india i i think i would say there are a lot of first world problems in india right like mm-hmm. i have my early stage entrepreneurs talking about how do i automate payments i have to open my bank account pay my vendors every single day i am doing like 15 payments every yeah. day from you know the lorry that i have hired to you know payroll to facebook payment on my google ads right yeah. and they are asking very basic questions is there a software that can automate this you know right. because that first world problem of because see at the end of the day people are also not disposed to spending on software that easily today that should i do a you know uh, $50 per seat 10 person software to automate this right from today right i think that doesn't come naturally to a lot of us still that i don't want to spend unnecessary money you know i do that too yeah i just kid with uh, akash all the time that all i do is just sign papers and yeah. you know, transfer money here in and out i don't think i do a lot of investing anyway you know so so there are a lot of first world problems is what i see yeah. i'm sure that about in the us i have not built a business in the us how does that work how how some of these things are automated um definitely much easier here and there's a little bit of a uh, it is my opinion right working with a bunch of founders the first thing that people want to do is automate as much as possible because yeah. it frees up a lot of your time to build and focus on the product and the company and you know working with people and hiring and all of that because i've we've been on the other side where you haven't raised any funding so you've got to be super lean which means you don't even you want to save even that 100 dollars that you're spending on yeah. a yearly basis so in the early days everything is spreadsheet and the, when the moment you get a little bit of funding through the door you want to automate everything right from your stripe to bill.com to gusto to any any of the payment vendors that you are using to you know make make sure that everybody who is in business with you gets paid everything is automated but there's at least a culture of wanting to pay for software i think i think that's that's not there in india i think it stems from all of our backgrounds that we have come from you know we have not been a rich country for the longest time a majority of our founders are coming from very middle class backgrounds like yeah. me right we're not we're not used to the idea of having somebody do our work because you know we, we still think that we can save that money even if we are funded and this is something i see even with founders that are running saas businesses who have a lot of money flowing in but they are so cost cautious i don't know which i think it's also a good thing in a way but i think that's something that i see a lot second i think and this may be a little controversial of a view i think uh, i i find it very hard to see teams that are actually trying to build shareholder value or a like a fundamentally economics driven business mm. right so that's been my learning that a lot of our ecosystem has been about uh value in the form of valuation not in the form of i don't know again how does it work in the us but i do see companies getting listed in 6 7 years which generate significant cash flows right so yeah. i think i think we as an ecosystem need to also start changing that attitude that you know companies are about cash flows and you know value to shareholders not just about you know raising money and blowing up your valuation when you don't have sight of economics in your view i don't know if that makes sense so that's been my learning so as a at sparrow we are very cautious about that. so we yeah. want to look at businesses where you know 
there is a path to uh, gross margin. There's a path to contribution mining and not necessarily trying to work with founders who are just trying to raise for the heck of it. That's a very interesting point that you make because, um, you know, very famously I had one of the unicorn founders come on the podcast and say that valuations is definitely, you know, valuations are temporary, but every other aspect of the business is almost permanent. Like relationships yeah. with vendors are permanent. Relationship with the employees are permanent. Relationship with your investors are permanent. You probably want to be spending a lot more time adding that shareholder value as opposed to just focusing on valuation because we've seen that. We saw how the market corrected itself in the last couple of years. You had companies that are valued at $45 billion like, like Klarna, which yeah. today is like worth $6 billion, yeah. right? I mean, it's still significant enough, but we do realize that at some point the market does correct itself. Even if it doesn't correct itself, investors do. We saw that happen with OYO recently where the valuations had to had to come down to meet um, you know, realistic demands of the market. Because if, you, if the long-term goal and vision for any founder is to take the company public or find a potential suitor for an acquisition, you've got to be realistic in terms of cash flows, revenue, profitability, how you're really building value for your shareholders. And that consciousness is... I think it's slowly kicking in, it's trickling in because we still have very few companies who have broken past that growth stage, right? And we've only seen like few exits in the last three years, three, four years. It hasn't been significant. We don't have a lot of private equity m and in, uh, in the yeah, country, yeah. Uh, in the tech side. We do have it on the non-tech side, but tech side, we don't, haven't really had that kick in. So it's going to take a little bit of time, in my opinion, um, having had that vantage point from outside of India and not Obviously, I don't have the luxury of meeting with a lot more founders and finding out, but the podcast is a little bit of um, justice to me, at least having that opinion that having spoken to a few unicorn founders, I can, I can tell you for a fact that a lot of them are now realizing that's important. It's very important for them to do it because that's the only way that they can see some sort of an exit for the business. Otherwise, you're tied into doing something where, you know, perhaps eventually because of certain things, your valuation is going to go down. So that's definitely going to be temporary. That's at least something I, that is outside from the outside. I, what I'm saying is that, you know, and that's true when any industry sees massive disruption and growth, there tend to be different kind of incentives that arise in the ecosystem. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of people are just beginning to adjust to what my real incentives are in the ecosystem. Right. And I think, uh, I honestly think there are a lot of people out there. I'm just saying that in my experience, you mm have to apply that lens also what is the founder building for mm. i'm pretty sure that happens in the us as well but you know you do see substantial companies go list build cash flows right I, the other day i was reading about tegas you know this company comes out of nowhere and you know gets valued at 3 billion dollars you know yeah just phenomenal right that they quietly build this company right so all i'm saying is that that share of those kind of stories begins i hope begins to grow in our ecosystem where you know you see real value underlying uh, all the story that is out there the package that's out there that there is an underlying real value in terms of solid cash flows solid economics you yeah. know not value that's a very good point and i think this may be a controversial opinion from my side so i will match your controversial opinion with one controversial opinion uh-huh. of, of of my own i do feel that you have a lot more founders here in the US who will go about doing their business silently. They don't worry about PR. They don't worry about getting out. They don't worry. They, they don't, when they raise funding, they just want to go out and continue to doing what they do extremely silently and focus on the business side than any other thing, which kind of is a distraction for plenty of founders. And I love that discipline about certain um, founders in the US, right? And you have a lot of 
first generation um founders who found companies who have that sort of mindset saying let's just focus on company building for 3 4 years let's figure out what happens beyond that point where we get to but when we get to a stage where brand really matters but in on the flip side in india even a 500k investment what, you know people want to like put it out in the in 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 the media outlets they want to go talk about it they want to be on um, you know podcast like really sharing that information unless you're in a consumer space where that really matters in in customer acquisition or just brand awareness i think it's very unnecessary also in the early stages because you have to prove a lot of stuff out anyway but Get i have a point in that yeah you, you just think about it think about again i'll go back to saying that you know we are in a growing phase and whenever any economy or system is in lot of growing phase is a lot of entropy and flux in the system so think about it like us governance system is probably like 150 years old Mm. a lot of governance laws that have taken 150 years of shaping thinking to you know lease and being dot frank and act you know uh, blyly legal act that came out in 2000 so there's a lot of governance system that has been built over you know hundreds of years yeah yeah is what 30 years old 1991 we liberalized the economy and opened it up to people yeah. right? imagine we are a country where somebody who gets a je rank of 5 gets a front page newspaper national newspaper right yeah. i think lot of the psyche of people is still about you know being you know in that local community that they came out of to show that okay you know they are doing something i think the flux will continue to happen in any system which is growing the growth kind of growth rates that india is seeing mm-hmm. i think it's our job as a manager to separate that flux or you know the right things out of lot of noise that's out there in the ecosystem i i would love to i don't know if you have a view to talk to managers in valley who saw the ecosystem very early mm. you know obviously there was no social media yeah. so they can they allude to that you know certain people behave in a certain way because you know suddenly you know things were growing and everybody wanted to like be a part of that journey or i don't know i'm i'll be curious to see because obviously we can't relate because today we live in the age of social media but yeah, yeah it's interesting to see It's funny you say that because I was having a conversation with um, you know Sanjay from Storm Ventures, mm-hmm. uh, and Storm has been around for donkey years. You know, founded in late eighties um, or early nineties, and has been there for a while, right? And I asked him a very similar question. I said, "What's your perception about where we have evolved as an ecosystem from when you started to where we are today?" And his answer was like one simple line. He said, "Founders today." have much more insight than founders back in the day and he didn't mean that from business point of view he didn't just mean he said founders just have access to more information yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was definitely not available back in the day and i think and then we got into this longer discussion about what does that mean in the context of being a founder not just having access to, anybody has access to information right but what does that really mean and how best to utilize that information to like do what you're doing and he said that back in the day you had a lot of founders who were more worried about getting their products out and getting validation from customers and spending a lot more time in customers and getting that information to then go back and you know the very old school way of company building like build something get it out to customers in, in their hands see what's not working what's not working come back and build those products it was a very uh, unidirectional sort of um, uh, model that they had but today it's it's slightly different you have the opportunity to you know build your product build a brand 
build hundred other things alongside your your company mm-hmm. wherein at some point building a product also just takes back seat you know it just it just automatically falls behind sometimes and and that is okay is is what i heard it's because the caliber and the brand that the founder builds today sometimes is enough to actually get investments is sometimes to actually bring in the uh, dollar money that sometimes in, enough to actually build relationships with people in the ecosystem that today is very different from what it was back in the day because back in the day you had to prove your product out before somebody gets into business with you but today you just need to build who you are like the brand that the founder is brings in everything else and that's the fundamental difference that's come about even in the us in the last 30 years it's today founders are brands and before it, the company was a brand and that to me was an interesting point of view of um, you know why founders spend a lot of time on twitter back in the day clubhouse yeah, I, you know i i think that the biggest creators are founders yeah the creator economy bit founders are also creators in the creator economy because they are creating their own brand and you know accruing value through that right yeah. whether i don't know it's funny to think about it but i think it's a true i wouldn't say true but very valid logical conclusion to make that you know founders should also be treated as creator within the creator economy ecosystem yeah. very philosophically speaking it's funny you say that because i when i when i have a conversation with senior vcs you know they the first thing that they say is when they see one of the founders on twitter for a while and all this person does is like tweeting they're like yaar kaam kab karta hai like why is this person tweeting like this person has been a founder for a year why why what gives this person the right to go out and like tweet stuff after a year of just becoming they don't come from a place of arrogance that a year worth of learning is not worth sharing back but they come from a point of view that you're just getting started there's so much ahead of you you got to be focusing on the right aspects of the business focus the first two years just on the business and then the rest will fall into place the rest will automatically come into place because you will eventually have to do that and you've seen the best of the companies do that even right now we saw a lot of companies in the last two years were saw covid tailwind in india boom just took off and now everything else is being built because fundamentally they spent a lot of years just the last two two and a half years trying to understand where okay product market fit mil gaya okay now let's try and see let's build other aspects of the business let's get the talent in let's try and like build the basics and foundations that kind of like make sure that we continue to sustain our growth and then everything else kind of falls into place so people have like stories of founders who have seen that kind of growth in the early days and then gone on to do every other aspect of uh, the business which is important in terms of personal brand building and the company's brand building and all of that but we have a lot of founders who also tend to focus a lot more on that in the early days yeah that's where you have to as an investor you have to make a choice right the the uh, you know going back to the other thing that we were talking about what are my learnings i think my biggest learning is that rather not biggest like one of the key learnings also has been that lot you have to follow your strategy mm. right see i think of deal flow as a very horizontal metric yeah right because it's about seeing the top 1% of the deal which i cannot say that only i have an access to you know ev- the everybody is smart everybody is well connected everybody is seeing those 1% deal now it's that verticalization that's important that off that deal flow what is my strategy in that deal flow i, I do you so which which comes from stage of investing which comes of philosophy of investing which comes of types of founders that i want to work with personally yes right Yeah. I some people may like working with certain kind of people and you know it's a heterogeneity of the market right so i think personally that you know having seen what i've seen for the last 5 6 years we are very clear that 
at least we try to be very anchored to our own philosophy and uh, you know style of investing and not worry about what everybody else is doing for example we are not a high velocity investor mm. you know now i can feel sad about it that you know i haven't done a deal in you know at the pace that everyone's doing but that's a discipline that i should follow and bring into my investment decision making that i want to do eight companies a year mm. that's it you know i have to follow two things at my own pace so i think that's that's a critical thing that a lot of i think investors are beginning to also understand that you know what is my my strategy among all that's out there right i think which is something that you has just very well now you see focus funds you know you you see funds just doing fintech you see funds are doing biotech it's such deep and evolved of a market right i think that sectoral is the end part of it but i think what is beginning to happen in india and i hope it happens more is that people realize that there are more to it than just you know picking certain sectors at what is your strategy so your philosophy the kind of companies you want to back you know the kind of board members you want to be you know what do you do when you know something bad happens in a company what is your stand hmm right what kind of organization you want to be known in the ecosystem for right i think that will begin to happen even more as the market becomes big and the each of these firms begin to diverge as to their own standing within the ecosystem and i think you can do that in us today you know that there are certain firms who like certain things they behave in a certain way and there are certain firms who do differently right so i think that that's going to happen a lot now in the ecosystem you're absolutely right it's a much more mature ecosystem here and you have for every i mean every founder who probably wants to fundraise has an opportunity to look up crunchbase pitch book and know that there are about 5000 investors who can write a check tomorrow yeah. if yeah. they speak to somebody right wherein probably that number is at 110th in india from an institutional vc point of view i'm sure that probably like slightly further as well maybe like 600 odd funds active in the country but the numbers are 110th and like in you're absolutely right we don't have many vertical specific funds which eventually will get created as as the market matures as the as there's more opportunity for founders and they start looking at that's the beauty of india is that you've got india specific problems you know, are so unique to certain regions and the tam is like so big even in that that every other day like a niche gets can be created if you want it to be if you want it to happen and that i think is like just beauty of like having such a diverse um, land landscape diverse bunch of people cultural thinking all of that right that really presents from a consumer point of view it presents a fantastic opportunity from yeah. an enterprise point of view we we're, we're just touching the surface of the, the potential that india has in terms of selling both domestically as well as globally and not even getting into everything that's new age uh with respect to investments and i think we're there we'll get there we'll get there in about a couple of years and i think we're seeing early signs of that as well as people getting into global trends people getting into india specific trends and building companies in and around that yeah but in all your years investing uh we talked about your learnings we'll talk about your learnings from working with founders and understanding what kind of uh things that founders do well in the early stages i also want to spend a little bit of time with you on what founders don't do really well first is founders within the portfolio that you have seen and without isolating anybody or taking any names but just collectively some of the learnings that you've seen couple of companies don't do well we talked about branding that's one thing that i kind of put it out there but i want to hear a little bit from your point of view remember on the other side just the founders that you've spoken to that you've not invested in 
like what do founders in india don't really do well and perhaps can do well and this is the kind of feedback that vcs when they're honest you know some people can really take it into uh, account take it in their stride when they go out and fundraise they perhaps are able to position themselves in a place that gives them the best opportunity to fundraise and then best opportunity to use that capital to go out and build companies yeah i think you know if i can isolate again not taking names yeah. the people i think have done really really well and i have had the privilege to be in meeting rooms with them and the people who have not done well um relatively speaking you know of course i think what i can clearly see in the first bucket is hiring really well like mm. absolutely like hitting it out of the park right there is no question about you know right in board meetings they would come and talk about not about metrics you know but about these are the three people i've added this quarter right you know, and i saw that at flipkart as well when i was at flipkart as an analyst flipkart did that really really well they just hired really smart people and gave them the opportunity and also give them an opportunity to thrive you know hiring is one thing and giving them the platform and the culture where you know they can do their own work and they can operate for what they were hired to do is also very important so i think set them up for success yeah yeah great founders i have seen do that really well they build they focus a lot on culture of the organization because that is important for all your people machinery or your systems machinery or your process machinery to function well right and the second thing i think you know again without making them this is a scalari portfolio founder you know who's built a very large company you know some of the things that are coming out today he would talk about this in 2060 no look this is going to happen i have to prepare for it right now so internally at sparrow we we call this as capability building mm. right so just just like a term to it that we think that we want to we like people who think capabilities mm. that okay, i have a site of what i am doing with this fundraise uh, i am raising this money but with this fundraise i want to win build one key capability or two key capabilities that are going to be an engine of growth for my next year and right. that capability could be people systems or process Mm. right people could be with this fund is i want to hire you know my cfo i want to hire an amazing cfo that's a capability you're building for the future so mm. you have you when you have your one eye already you know 3 4 years ahead and you know that for this particular business it's a complicated business on working capital i will need to hire a great finance person today mm. while the roi may not come today i may feel like i'm spending so much money and esops today but it's going to yield benefits later so i think that clearly i see a lot right uh, in in uh, people have a lot of uh, ex- different experience but my experience has been that we that's something i've been able to isolate uh, when i build my mental models to looking at uh, new companies i think that's a very interesting point that you bring up and i i don't think there's any disagreement when it comes to that because i can tell you now being on the other side right this is something that takes me about 40% of my time in terms of figuring out where we are today how can we add the best people i spend 40% of my time trying to understand how are we culturally what's the best that we can do to set people up for success that means being aware as a founder and noticing that if somebody is struggling we try and understand why somebody is struggling yeah and if that means can we can we give them another person 
Can we give them information? Can we give the, what? What can we do to make this person person's role in life much better? Because when you're trying to hire for somebody, right? You obviously want to hire the best of the best people, which obviously doesn't happen at early stage. But what you can definitely do is you can pick leaders, you can pick generalists, and this is my experience. I would love to hear your thoughts on this as well. I think the best people to hire at the early stage and that minus one to like that one journey are just business generalists. These are people who can do a bunch of things. Maybe they can't do it really, really well, but they can just get it done. And you need people to just get shit done in the early days. So, and I've always, I've come from that background. I don't have, I was telling you, I don't have an idea of expertise as such, but you throw me into something. I'll quickly like figure it out how to do things in that. If I don't, I will build my own resource tools. I will, I'll go to the internet. I'll go to people. I'll try and understand. I will just build my immediate network who can give me information, how to figure that shit out. And I think those kind of people are so important and very hard to find as well, because that takes a lot of dirty work. Like you've got to be okay with, you know, doing the really, the, the, the grunt work, as we call it. Sometimes it could be as simple as, you know, being, playing the role of an EA for somebody, sending out calendar invites, reaching out to people, all that shit. And sometimes it may actually be proactively reaching out to customers or proactively reaching out to strategic partners and trying to develop those relations because nobody tells you that you got to be doing this. You got to like understand the aspects of the business, where you are, how are you operating? Listen every single day as, as somebody who, who's, who has, who's exposed to those meetings, right? I mean, I'll give you a small example, weekly meetings. At an early stage, typically most people are invited to ma- weekly meetings before the company gets out to a stage where you know have product or different breakouts. In those weekly meetings, just because it's not your aspect of the business, like you could be a, uh, you could be an operations person. And when the product team is working, you probably don't think of product as something that is part of your job, or you don't think of something sales that part of your job. But if you just keep an open mind and you hear what's happening in different aspects of the business, your life as an operations associate and operations manager becomes much, much clearer, better, because you are able to get a complete sense of what's happening in that business. And you know, and if you're just intuitive and you have a little bit of common sense, you can start adding value to various teams as well. And that just becomes such a key role that somebody can play in the early stages. And we've got a couple of employees like that who just take an initiative and say, even though it's not part of their JD, they're taking that initiative and they're coming up with ideas. They're helping people out because you need the best people also to be best teammates, right? That I 100% agree with you that founders, you know, hiring is definitely something that people can get wrong and people, you know, if they get it right, the company does well, you get it wrong. No matter how much capital you've raised in the early days, it's not going to go according to plan. And I think Uh, it also stems from the mindset that, you know, my job is to not, my job is to hire great people who can take this after me. And then my job then becomes to think about the next big thing. Yes. Solve for strategic things in the organization and not be trapped in. So my job is to hire a great person who can eventually take over this function off my plate. Yeah. You know, I think that mindset needs to happen very early in the company that, you know, I don't want to be controlling everything, right? I want to keep great. my back free to solve for what needs to happen in the business. Right? Yeah. I mean, Jeff Bezos had this very famous um, philosophy where he said, every day, I just want to do three things three decisions in life. That's it. And that's eventually, that eventually should be the goal of every founder is yeah. get to a point in life where they're not the doer, but they're the enabler. And that I think is the fine line between a great leader and a, and just an operator. 
is you know when you really get to a stage where you're comfortable saying i trust the people because you've just hired some fantastic people who've come into your company that you give them the sense of ownership autonomy everything that they need and you trust them to get there to come through from their side you're in a better place because at that point all you need to do is just become an enabler and take couple of decisions every single day yeah. which impact the business at large and in the future and that's kind of stuff what jeff bezos talks about you know that's like i think he mentioned this like 4 5 years ago when he was talking about what is his role in the company and what does he do he said my job is just to take three decisions every single day and that's it if i'm not if i if i do that i think the company is going to be in in a great place yeah. so i think you bring up a very interesting point when you say that as well and moving the conversation along right i mean we talked about founders what they do well what they don't do well you've also seen what investors do and don't do well we've obviously i've had 100 plus vcs who've been on the platform who've talked about things that they do well now if we can also be a little vulnerable i'll also add a couple of things to to the table. i'll 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 add to what don't we do well what don't we or at least from an india context what can we do better let's put it that way. i think a lot of us can do better by realizing what we don't know mm. admitting it yeah i mean see this job of course this twitter linkedin and all that fanfare that comes with it but i think it's very important to know your own limitations yeah i cannot not know everything out there you know and then see i think it's also a very indian mentality if you ask somebody do you know this can you help me with it? yeah yeah i'll help you Mm. right we don't like to generally say no to things no i don't know you know i honestly don't know you got to yeah. figure out somebody yeah. somebody else so i think that i think we can do a lot better by defining what you know what warren buffett calls what is a circle of competence right what yes. are the things that you know really well you know yeah. and and not touching the things that you don't know well so for example when you know a lot of people ask me you know early stage founders what value do you add i'm like look i have never been an operator in my life i cannot come and tell you how to run your sales or you know ops if i tell you then you should think twice that what basis i have to come and tell you how to run my sales right yeah. i think we have we have made a very clear <laughs> internal understanding that we can't do that second of all we don't believe we should do that mm. because i absolutely hate the accelerator model trust me you know there are so many accelerators out there you know they there's a lot of big business being built on top of that i think if you if i have to tell somebody at such an early stage how to run a business then why am i even investing in those businesses yeah right i mean that's again a very controversial opinion right oh, it's I, very true though yeah so we don't believe in that so i think that's where our whole premise or i think we can do better is just defining what area so i think you know being very honest with you i think great founders don't need your opinion on validation not advice and mm. validation as to hey i just raised my seed fund i have to get an auditor on board should i get a pwc should i get some peer reviewed bangalore local audited firm is that what you see across other early stage startups yeah you know i am hiring a head of engineering this person quoted me 2% uh you know he wants 2% equity, equity. in the company yeah. where does this 2% number come from what is the basis of 2% 3% or 4% mm. what do you typically see across other companies it's tactical advice tactical uh, validation right and yeah. they, they because they are taking some of these decisions for the first time in their life yeah and when we look at so many companies over years probably we have had exposure to taking that decision in the past mm. i think that's all they want right 
so so to sum up i think all of us can do better by listening well right versus trying to coach i love that because i don't think i, I have anything to coach you all i can i tell my people you know i have an internal rule i, I mean i don't want to say other i always pick up my founders call mm i joke that to my partner at times that i will pick their call <laughs> it's not a good thing to, oh, oh it is yeah. but yeah. you know there was a time when i was doing that and she was like so upset at me <laughs> yeah but well, that's that i mean i i'm 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 very sure that some of the founders will will love to hear this <laughs> yeah so, know that like that you need to be that 3am friend sometimes you know like it's yeah. a very lonely journey it's very lonely to be a founder very very lonely yeah very and lonely. there are so many days where you know i wish i can just pick up the phone and be as honest and transparent with my investor not because i want advice because i just want to like talk it out i can just say like man this is what's happening and i just want to vent sometimes and in that venting process maybe they share their experience and i just walk away saying yeah maybe it's not just my story this has happened to like few other people and just it's it's it, me just finding solace sometimes from hearing that i'm not alone in this journey and i think that's what a lot of founders want to do and eventually i think indian founders do this slightly better than founders here in in the us and i know this for sure is that there's a much close knit community of founders in india it happens in like certain pockets in this country it happens in like the bay area it happens in if you've been to like vice and stuff you know the community is like really stronger where you're able to tap into it but if you're building companies in silos here in this in the in, in the us in certain markets it's difficult to get that but in india you kind of feel that even though the country is so big it just feels that the founder community is so small especially yeah. in bangalore and i mean i'm from bangalore so i might be biased when i say this and i don't have a lot of insight into delhi bombay and some of the other hubs but bangalore community feels so freaking small it almost like everyone knows everybody yeah yeah it is it is, it is really that small starbucks in uh, you know the 80 feet road starbucks in kormangla starbucks third third, co- third wave coffee third wave coffee roasters you bump into so many people you know and the leela palace hotel in hl yeah <laughs> they like these hubs that people hubs and where, so different, right back in the day cuz i remember you know very similar to you when you said you didn't know vc when you initially started and you got um, you know you you got you get tried to get recruited by this uh, uh, recruiter I got an interview at NASCOM. This was way back in like 2010ish, right? I didn't even know the full form of NASCOM when this person reached out to me. I had to like go and I'm like what is NASCOM? What do they do? So I have like about 12 years ago I've seen the ecosystem back then when it was almost nothing. And even then there was a small accelerator-esque model that NASCOM kind of launched with 10k. where it kind of i start seeing this early signs of the bangalore community like coming together and kind of helping out and it's it's good sort of not i would i would i would say it's not even competition it's it's about just getting like that community to give you like the information that it requires which i think has eventually just compounded so much that every time i come to bangalore it just feels like i just need to hit two three pockets and i feel like i've met like 40 50 people at the same time i go to indranagar i know where to go i know i go to kormangala i know where to go i go to hsr i know where to go and i get to meet about 10 15 people and i'm like that was day very well spent and you no, get like that, from the founders right. as well that the community is so strong which i think is fantastic for anyone coming out and wanting to even the vc community is very strong 
Oh, for sure. Very closely knit. Yeah. You know, everyone knows everyone. Everyone's very helpful. So that's yeah. why I love the city. You know, that's why I've, a lot of people ask me, why do you want us to move back to India? It's for this reason. You know, I feel so lonely here. You it know? is. It is very lonely out here. Very, I, I mean, I was at a fund for four years and you don't, I mean, it's very difficult to get to know just the funds in the Bay Area. Yeah. <laughs> you have thousand plus funds in the Bay Area itself. It's so hard to get to know everybody. But in India, at least, even though there are about 400, 500 funds, we also have that culture of, you know, just, I mean, I hate to like stereotype this, but it is true. I mean, you want to know who your neighbors are. Yeah. yeah, yeah but here, yeah. no one gives a fuck who your neighbors are. Here you're like, you. I, I still don't know who both my neighbors today are. Like right here, I live, I don't know my neighbors, but in India, you at least have the culture of looking over your shoulder. Maybe yeah, yeah. it comes from a curiosity of, you know, like, we also have that gossipy sort of like gene in us. So we're like, we want to know what's happening next door. So it's that curiosity, that, the way I put it. So when there's a new fund in town, you want to get to know them. You want to like understand what they're doing. Um, definitely keep an eye out if they're a competitor and all of that and see what's happening. But there's that little bit of extra culture, but here it's a little bit more dispersed. Yeah, I think in India, there is a sort of like a Venn diagram of professional and personal life. And then yeah. there are people in that intersection who are, you know them professionally, but they become your friends. You invite them over, yeah. you know, you're going on a holiday with them, you know, it's just becomes a, you inviting them for a poker game or something, right? So it becomes yeah. that little bit of, uh, you know, intersection of both worlds. Yeah. Nice. My, we like that as a. I as, love that. My biggest know? network is still back home in India. Trust me. And I've sat here for like seven years. And my biggest network is back home. I have a bigger VC network back home than I do have here. Mm. And that just goes to tell you that people are very warm and welcoming and it's easier to build relationships with people. I'd met, I'd not met a lot of people for, I went home for the first time in March of this year in four years and I'd not met any guests who had been on the podcast. I knew a few of them beforehand, but the hundred odd people never met anybody in person. It was a chance to get to know them in person, but that kind of like opened up a lot of doors. It's just people are just being warm. I love that about um, the ecosystem back home, which kind of is very unique to us. And I hope we continue to be that way as yeah. well forward, right? And uh, I think I want to move around, move along the conversation and ask you another um, uh, question that relates to your own personal experience. You've obviously added value to portfolio you've continued to build a relationship with lps in the country and you've you're now on this side of the globe you've ha- spent a little bit of time in the u.s what's your early sense of trying to take some of the learnings that you've had here in in the little time that you've spent and the conversations that you've held with people here that perhaps can be something that you can add to sparrow and if you were to model sparrow in a way or i would love to hear how you're thinking about building sparrow and f- with fun too and everything that's going to like unroll in maybe the next three to four years for the fund. One of the key things, I, I'll talk about the Sparrow bit later before, you know, obviously here, everywhere I see organizations, right? Mm-hmm. I see whether small, big, they're organizations, they have the culture about them. You know, I think that's very prevalent in U.S., you know, I did so many case studies at business school, like those HPS case studies. They're like yeah. crash course on insight into 20, you know, 200 odd companies, 200 to 300 odd companies through your time at school, right? Yeah. And it's very fascinating, even like, a, you know, you're acquiring a, a small micro cap company for $200 million. The CEO of the company behaves like a CEO you know, yeah. of a large company. That is very fascinating for me to see. 
right today those companies exist in india in the very family consortium setups family run businesses but here they very organized even a small business is run like an organized business where the ceo will come talk to analysts you know this corporate governance i think we can all learn from and i think that also supplies a great pool of managers i'm not talking about talented people i'm talking mm-hmm. about managers who know how to lead and manage teams you know in a in a very ethical and sustainable way because you know managing a team for me is not about okay i have a work i have to hit a metric it's also about coaching them to, you know turning your uh, you know people that report into you as future managers and leaders so i see that lot here there's a long tail or lot even long tail like a mid market of high quality managers let us put some enterprise terms to it i think india has an are there really really good people who have worked at large organizations or good startups who have had the know how of leading building teams and managing people you know but i don't think a lot of us still have it you know our home based corporates are psus or you know old run organization you know they don't necessarily have this great culture of organization building if you will right so mm-hmm. i think that's something that i i see that a lot here and number 2 i think one thing that i see here is founders a lot of startup founders jump into becoming ceos i think mm-hmm. that doesn't happen in india that well right because when you are a founder sure you are a founder you started a company it's a little emotional right but at some point in time as the company scales you have to play a role of a ceo which is about capital allocation strategies shareholder values you know i think we can learn a lot by understanding how to deploy capital as a private market ceo why do i need to raise capital i think a lot of people don't have an very concrete answers to saying why i want 100 million dollars in my company mm-hmm. and we all know those numbers are coming from ownership requirement of fund not from the other way around which is do i really need 100 million dollars yeah it's coming from this fund needs to own 10% of my business because that's their mandate and so i have to raise 100 million dollars mm-hmm. right so i think that's something we can learn really well something that i see that a lot here uh, of course you know there are other sides of it as well but it's in terms of quantity that's also there in significant quality where you know people think about that a lot mm. right what we want to do as an organization i think is bring this kind of thinking in in the ecosystem which is companies at the end of the day are about you know shareholder value cash flows you know um in fact we have a board in our office we love cash flow we want to remind that to ourselves every single day you know at yeah. the end of the day companies should build cash flow right? it's so counter intuitive as an early stage investor but what i'm trying to say I is was, the side of it i was just about to say you sound more like a revenue based investor and less of a vc that was the first thought that came into my head when you said that we love cash flow it's like you really think like a revenue based investor or you know somebody who knows that this cash flow is coming in every month i like that i like that in a I, i think it's not about today i think it's about dreaming whether sustainably it can even happen so for example i'll i'll tell you another thing okay we internally call this two hop monetization see platform businesses are two hop monetization which is you know i'll get users on my platform eventually something will click yeah. and i'll start seeing some gross margin right mm-hmm. to me platforms like you know lot of companies in india uh, either you could have a two hop monetization which is to say i am just focusing on building users and with user data i will sell something to them right that's where gross margin will be solved for mm. right and then when you solve for gross margin there is contribution margin now can you sell that at a cost that mm. is benefit 
at that makes sense to you internally we think we we don't want to do two hop monetization models mm. right we want to take a bet on cm only gm to the आप एक प्रोडक्ट या सर्विस बेच रहे हो जिसको कस्टमर पे करेगा सॉरी आई मीन आई डोंट नो इफ यू हां वी थिंक दैट वी इंटरनली थिंक दैट वी डोंट वांट टू टेक अ बेट ऑन नॉट हैविंग जीएम विजिबिलिटी राइट वी वांट टू सी व्हाट वी कैन फंड व्हिच इज योर यू आर सेलिंग अ प्रोडक्ट एंड अ सर्विस इनहेरेंटली कस्टमर विल पे फॉर दिस राइट जीएम इज देयर नाउ सीएम इट विल हैपन एट स्केल श्योर यू नो एज द कंपनी ग्रोस स्केल ऑफ एफिशिएंसी कम्स वी विल स्टार्ट सीइंग सीएम दैट्स द बेट वी विल टेक but we won't take up at the gm there's no gm at all right you know, we figure out what happens something will happen mm. you know, so so that's something internally we have and see that's what i mean by when i say strategy that's our strategy i'm not saying that's the best strategy out there that's our strategy we have to stick to our strategy mm. right? discipline. and yeah. that's so and we call this internally discipline over intuition yeah. so our single biggest value internally and we talk about this a lot is discipline right if somebody wants to write about should write about us in 20 years time we want them to write about discipline to early stage investing hmm. so that's what our philosophy that's our investment philosophy is modeled after what we want to do is we want to sort of um, um be a platform where you know um, um in the early stage we are a high conviction product not a high velocity product there are a lot of high velocity strategies in early stage which they are doing a lot of investments we want to be the other way around which is we do 8 to 10 10 companies a year in the sectors we understand well we'll only do something when we understand it well or to an extent you know we have an investment point of view on that see no vc can understand something very well you and i both yeah right and then we we will have a sidecar fund that is attached to our main fund which invest into our winners team mm. we are already doing that we have a couple of fund one companies where we have written larger checks alongside large investors so that's our vision sort of that you know we want to continue to be an early stage investor with significant sidecar or opportunity fund capital to deploy into our companies and continue a deep and commitment to our founders who we work with mm. so i think that's what we are trying to sort of build here and i can answer the second question also which is where do you see the fund in like a few years time and what what kind of short term vision that you have um i think there's been a very fascinating conversation where i've gotten to know a little bit about you how you approach investing um uh, where the fund is really going i want to conclude this episode with a little bit of um you know advice that you want to give out to you know young fund managers like yourself because i think this is something that is happened here in this side of the world where you've got people in their their 20s and their early to in their early 30s going out and founding funds and really establishing um credibility for themselves you've done that quite recently yourself now we have a lot more fund managers coming up who are in their early 20s and early part of their careers what do you probably want to share from your own personal experience with them that they need to be aware of or if i were to reword that if you were to advise yourself going back in time what a couple of things that you would tell yourself to brace yourself for this journey that you're on currently one definitely resilience sir mm-hmm. but expand on that what do you what what do you really mean by resilience see in my last organization it took us see i mean when i used to work at a large fund fundraise was never something that we as the investment team got exposed to it would happen automatically the next lps would react right when you go on to start a fund from scratch that's when you started seeing the reality of the market as we were alluding to in the earlier part of the conversation i think so 
while entrepreneurs do raise like startup founders raise money get to series b really quickly a vc fund founder may not get to that stage where your economics start making sense for you so mm-hmm. be prepared that you know you are in for longer time period of not seeing a fat paycheck yeah compromising on some of the economics that you would be getting in your prior role so be prepared for that because you know as you scale your contribution to fund also increases where will you bring in gb contribution right, right? so even that is going up you know as you grow as a fund right so so be prepared for that that gets a very lonely journey you know uh, uh, i think my experience at arkham helped me mm. like, i made my peace with myself that yeah for the next foreseeable year i'm going to survive on my savings mm. is what i'm doing right now right so so that's one second you know i i don't know whether it's a advice or not but i think don't accept anything on face value if something is being done for so don- so many donkey years it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to follow the same approach mm. i try we try to do that every single day you know every aspect of the business we try to question why it should be like this do you mean this from an internal vc lens or do you mean it from a founder point of view when they're building companies or both no internal vc lens okay so what's an example of that without it being you know economics to... distribution of economics for example hmm. right we have a very uh, i would say a very different model of economics internally hmm. you know where the participant pool of that economics is not just gps the four or five different stakeholders okay most funds will have two stakeholders which is you know our advisors of course lps are commercial stakeholders that's your right. responsibility but beyond that you know we have different stakeholders hmm you know because just think about it, the world entire web3 view is about creators are not getting the value accrued to them that applies to us also in some way right i don't necessarily need to use a blockchain to distribute economics that way because i don't need to but you know that doesn't mean you can't i can't distribute economics i can distribute in the web2 dot way also right? right so that's one second some of the things that i told you about some of these contrarian views right so for example i fundamentally believe that india should not have very large funds mm. just take the just to the simple math take the dry powder in india mm. of all you know 10 15 funds apply a 3x that they have to give then apply a 10% terminal ownership and just see the amount of fair market value you'll have to create for all these funds to return 3x you'll mm. be surprised mm. that's a very interesting way of looking at it yeah so i i honestly think that some of these way economics incentives are structured we're simply applying the us model model back to india the unicorn number itself is not real is same in india because us economy is what 6 7 8 times our size yeah why should the unicorn be the same number here in india and in the us unless you're building a saas business for global market but if you're building a consumer business in india why should be the same number so why should the same kind of value markup it happens because dollar money is flowing in because dollar funds are flowing in if you are so i'm saying i don't have right answers to it but i we, ch- we challenge that assumptions a lot what is the right size of the fund right so indian economics for indian based startups yeah 
with realistic approach to the company building if i would like right. really right. filter it down in simple words for 100%. some of our audience to understand right some of the contrary things that i said you know that yeah. we don't we don't want to do double op models right mm. i mean tell me yeah i don't want to go there but yeah i think it's uh, yeah that's also one way to you know we discuss about discipline right that's also a way to be disciplined because a little bit of extra type product sometimes is a good thing because it helps you experiment as a fun but also perhaps not a good thing in certain contexts because it also gives you the luxury of making too many mistakes and unfortunately or fortunately vc is one of those industries where people look over the shoulder and see what others are doing especially if you're like a fairly big fund or a fund with some reputation people do tend to fall into your footsteps and a lot of people do because at least the vc model in general globally also right people look for validation with what somebody is doing and that's human nature let's say a big fund without taking any names let's say a fund a very well reputed big fund does a certain thing and when they have and that trickles down to an angel investor who's trying to look at for like early signs of like um one validation and two just knowing that hey there's somebody else who's done better diligence than i perhaps can do and they're looking for signs early signs and that's the sign that's the signal that they pick up on and that trickles down to the most bottom layer of your capital distribution funnel and that sentiment continues to grow over time because you as an angel investor when you're starting off and you're taking that as your playbook you're going to continue for the next year or so year year and a half or so with that same playbook and then year and a half two years from now you realize that the funders are kind of realize that that's not working for that and they have the luxury of moving away but your capital is now locked up as an angel investor i'm able to like tell this to you because that happened to me in the early days of my angel investing career about 4 years ago i did this in the first one and a half years is like looking for what funds did but those funds walked away from that model but they have the luxury of doing that i didn't my capital was tied up i lost a lot of money and some of the investments have done well but a lot of the money was locked up and i may or may not even see that but that's what i'm talking about being fundamentally like a an ecosystem yeah, like, that yeah, can that yourself we don't have a, as a young manager who is trying to build a fund we don't have the luxury the the price exactly. here is very hard here right yeah. so i think we can all use some bit of i think it's it's worthwhile to remind again that venture returns always come from contrarian ideas not consensual ideas right so you have to stick to your strategy as you find what is that contrarian strategy it could be it may not be sector it could 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 be a very different way of backing a different kind of founders mm. right see in india today you know i asked i pinch myself every time when i may take the call of you know this is not the founder profile that we are all used to certain kind of founder profile believe it or not yeah we see a little bit of us in them i don't yeah, know yeah exactly right and you know right. trust me i mean when i uh, i meet so many uh, i mean i come from the baniya you know that community i find very very smart people building businesses you know and they don't even know what a vc is they understand yaar dhanda hai dhanda banana hai aise banta hai but i can guarantee you none of us will i mean most of us will fidget at you know saying i want to write a check to this guy you mm. know in a very venture like model yeah i'm not saying that someone should but i'm saying that could be one way of looking at it that i understand how to price the risk of a business that run by a founder like this yeah i think where somebody having a contrary in strategy matters i completely agree with that and just to you know add one line on that i feel i think you mentioned this in some way shape or form in the in the beginning part of the episode 
we try, I try to like look for some aspect of me in a founder. What I'm trying to say by that is I'm not good enough. If I'm not good enough, I'm going to bump into founders who are very similar like me. Mm-hmm. If I'm average, I'll find, I'll find average founders to be really good. If I'm above average, I'll find above average founders to be really good. Because I won't really know what is better than what I know. Right? Yeah, so if I, I really want to become better, I need to get better every single day. If I want better founders to work with, I need to get better every day before I can actually understand what better founders and who they are. Who, who are better people? Because I'm at, at least you are the threshold for that's where most learning happens for like most human beings. Like you get, you hope to get to a stage where you're able to recognize people better than you, but eventually like 90% of the people, the majority of the percentile fall into a category where you are the ceiling for your limitations and your learnings. And if you don't get to like grow yourself, your, yeah. your judgment of people is going to be very similar and on par with you. And you need to want, and I love that you said that in the early part, when I asked you why VC, you said, I love learning. I love, you know, getting to know industries, getting to know people. And I think that really gets you to a place where you continue to become better every single day. And eventually, hopefully that your you bettering yourself eventually means you're also getting to work with a better class of founders. I think we'll come full circle with this episode, going back <laughs> to the first point that you made. And I don't think there's a better way to end it on. And I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Yash, thank you I so much. Just one thing I'll add is, uh, you know, I, I also think that a lot of people who are thinking of building funds, you know, with whatever I've seen with what Akash has seen uh, up close, I think it's very important to think institutionally. Mm. You know, the firm or the organization that you're building has to be important than each one of you individually. Yeah, The firm is bigger in long term. You know, if at least that's the philosophy. If you want to build an institution, sure, if you are building that as a solo GP or something else, it's just fine. But if you truly want to create an institution that is big, respected, you have to act with that mentality, right? And yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't need to happen that, you know, I will only do this kind of activity when I'm big. No, you have to do that way to think like an organization. Yeah. You know, so there is no activity that we do new just because we have more money now. We were doing all these things when we were small and we are still doing those things and what we are doing today. Yeah. Nothing has changed in our processes. You know, we were writing an IM even when we were writing a 5 lakh rupee check. Yeah, just the capital yeah. sizes increase. Size has increased, but not that it's just a small check. Why? And I was just alone in the firm. I was writing an IM for myself. Yeah. Investment memo, right? So that's that's what I mean by that. Think process, think yeah. capabilities that can scale. Yeah. Anyway, hope. Yeah. I love that. I, I I love how we've come full circle. We've discussed a couple of things that you have as a fund manager have learned over the years. And I think a lot of founders when they listen to this, even fund managers when they listen to this will actually take away a lot of interesting insights in terms of what to expect from the other side of the table. And um, thank you so much for sharing some candid pieces of uh, information, (laughs) personal nuggets. Uh, I really had a ball just discussing things with you. And I told you at the beginning of the episode, I don't really know where this is going to go. And I really love the fact that it has come to where it is. It's been, um, at least for me, I, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but it's been time well spent getting to know who you are as an individual. And along with getting to just know you, I've gotten to know a little bit about your fund, your style of investing. Kind of, I, can, yeah. I can almost kind of almost, I know your founders. I mean, I've seen your, I know your portfolios, but even if I hadn't, and if I've just walked away from this, I know the kind of founders who may be part of your portfolio. You get to know a lot about a person's 
uh, investments or their portfolio by just speaking to them. So I've gotten to know. I hope some of our listeners also get a glimpse of uh, who you are. So thanks again for being here yeah, on a Saturday you. morning thank and talking you. to me. I had a lot of fun. Well, that unfortunately brings us to the end of yet another fantastic episode here on the TCVC podcast. Thanks a lot, Yash, for being on the podcast and sharing some great insights about your time investing in the country, and more importantly, being candid and extremely vulnerable about your own shortcomings as an investor. I think it goes to show the humility that you bring to the table as an investor, and more importantly, showing us all. that at the end of the day we are all here to learn together grow together make an impact and dent in the universe together i personally enjoyed my interaction with you and i hope to bring you on sometime in the future so that we can discuss a lot more about your learnings investing in the country well if you're like me and you enjoyed this episode and all the other ones that we've brought you so far please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform it helps others discover the show and more importantly keeps you updated about all of our future episode releases and you might want to keep that in mind because the next one is our 100th episode this is a moment that i've been looking forward to for quite some time and i'm really excited about the next landmark here for us on the show well before we conclude i want to thank each and every one of you for your continued support and love because without that i don't think we would have gotten so far So please make sure you tune back in again to see who we have here for our 100th episode. So until then, continue to keep hustling everybody and stay safe.